You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for news, discussion, and debates about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined by Gene Henley, and we are here again for another episode here. Season is going strong. We have some big games to preview here for the men's team and actually the women's team, too, coming up. Um, but a couple of big-time matchups on deck for both programs. Thank you all for tuning in. We really appreciate you guys joining us here on the show. If this is your first time, welcome in. You can find us everywhere podcasts are found, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Podbean is where we're hosted. You also have TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, you name it, we're there. Subscribe to us today. Go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, up to eight reviews on there, so thank you so much for that. Only one written one, so if you leave us a written one uh, with, along with a five-star review, we will read it here on air, so please do that. We would very much appreciate that. If this is not your first time here, welcome back. We appreciate you returning to the show. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook as well. We're on Twitter at Vol Hoops Fever, and Facebook is Vol Basketball Fever, just like the show name. Well, Gene, as I said, we got some pretty big matchups on tap for the men's side and women's side, both. On the men's side, it's a huge two-game stretch coming up this weekend, this Saturday at 2 o'clock Eastern time. Tennessee will be on the road for their first true road game of the season, taking on the Colorado Buffaloes, who are 6-2, and two, coming off a 73-61 defeat on the road against number 5 UCLA. Uh, so, again, that's nothing to really, you know, no shame there in losing to a top-10 team on the road uh, against a team like UCLA especially. But then after that, Tennessee will play up in Madison Square Garden, and they'll take on Texas Tech, a, a to me, a very underrated Texas Tech team that, I don't. I still don't think it's rated ranked in the AP poll, but they are ranked very highly in, in Ken Palm and other metric sites like that. They're ranked right up there with Tennessee in the top 15, top 10 area. So, Gene, they've got two big tests. Lady Vols uh, just came off a a decisive victory against Tennessee Tech, so both the men's and women's teams handle their business <clears> against Tennessee Tech this season. But they'll be fa- uh, facing off with Virginia Tech. Um, on uh, Blattsburg, excuse me, in Blattsburg, Virginia, on Sunday. So both the men's and women's teams are on the road this weekend. Uh, Tennessee taking on Colorado, Lady Vols taking on Virginia Tech on the road, and then Lady Vols in a, what two weeks now will also be hosting Stanford in a huge game on Saturday, December eighteenth. So we'll talk a little bit, probably more about actually the, the men's side here. But I, I did want to mention, as we talked about in the Lady Vols podcast that came out earlier this week, which you, if you haven't listened to yet and you're a Lady Vols fan. Uh, definitely go check it out. Uh, then we take on Virginia Tech, and then Georgia State, and then Stanford. But Gene, for the men's side, Tennessee is fresh off a 86-44 victory over Presbyterian. That I I don't really know how much you can take away from that. I think to me, Presbyterian is the worst offense Tennessee has faced this season, and might be the worst offense Tennessee faces all year. And it showed in in the <laughs> in all the stats in that game. Granted, Tennessee defense did a good job. But Presbyterian didn't do themselves any favors with some of the shot selection, with some of the tor- unforced turnovers they had. Um, but on the flip side, Tennessee's offense looked pretty good too. They they were hitting from deep. Post play was a little iffy, but at the same time, when you're hitting from deep, you don't you know you don't need post play to to be superb. And it seemed like for whatever reason that Presbyterian was was determined to take away the post rather than taking away the three, which I don't get. But 
you know, worked for Tennessee's favor, won 86-44. But, Gene, they have Colorado coming up. Like I said, again, Texas Tech, two big batch-ups. Gene, it's the, it's the first road game of the season for Tennessee. I think this Colorado team is interesting, I'll say. They're right around the top 50 in Ken Palm. Again, they just lost the UCLA. They had a head-scratching loss um, in the uh, one of the uh, as a neutral site game, one of those early season tournaments. I can't remember which one it was now, uh, but they lost to Southern Illinois, uh, the Missouri Valley Conference, 67 to 63. And I don't think the Southern Illinois team is particularly great. They're four and three on the year. They're averaging 62 points a game. They have two really good scorers in Lance Jones and Marcus uh, Marcus Damask. That's basically it. Uh, I, 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 that's not a good result for Colorado, but they've won all their other games. They took overtime to Montana State and Duquesne. Uh, so that's, I don't know, this, this Colorado team, is, it's, I, this is a very winnable game. I think Tennessee, sh- Tennessee should win this one. But again, it's their first road game of the season, true road game of the season for Tennessee. It's a Colorado team that's averaging 76.5 points, but they are giving up about 70 points a game. Uh, Tad Boyle, of course, has been around for a while now. He's been at Colorado for, this is his, I think, 12th, 13th year up in Colorado. Um, they've won consistently 20-plus games or so most of his seasons there. So they've, they've been a, a consistent, steady team for most of his, his time there. Tennessee played them, uh, what, last year, two years ago, one of the two, and, and beat them, but that was also a very <laughs> different Colorado team that you have now as well. It's a team that is... Uh, Fairly young. You have one senior in Evan, ba- Evan Batty. Evan Beatty? I'm not sure. I think it's Batty. It's two T's. Who's a senior. But most of your other players, your your, your other top scorers are three of them are sophomores. Your Byron Walker, Keyshawn Barth- uh, Bartholomew, and Tristan De Silva. But you also have Eli Parquet, who's a senior. But they have freshman, sophomore, freshman, sophomore, freshman, all coming off the bench. So you have two seniors mm-hmm. and then a bunch of first and second year players as your core they have a seven-footer who, it seems like, much like Tennessee seven-footer, does not play a ton and doesn't contribute much in the way of rebounding and points when he does play. Um, averages about ten and a half minutes a game, 1.6 rebounds and 2.1 points. So maybe Gene will see uh, <laughs> Uroche and Lawson Lovering play against each other and ha- have a battle of which seven-footer can grab the least amount of rebounds. I'm kidding, but also kind of not. But Gene, I <laughs> don't know how much you've really had a chance to look at... Um, Colorado, but this is a game that, again, mm-hmm. first true road game of the year. That's what concerns me more than the team itself. How does how does Tennessee adjust to the environment of playing on the road, and not just on the road, but flying over? They're, they tweeted out earlier today that they're heading over there, so I assume at this point they're probably there, if not almost there. But flying all the way over to Boulder, Colorado, um, I've flown from here at Knoxville to Denver. That's like a three-and-a-half-ish hour flight, I think, if I remember correctly, maybe four hours. So pretty decent flight over there. And then, of course, you know, get everything situated yet tomorrow and stuff, and you have Saturday at two o'clock in the morning, which would be uh, noon actually local time over in in Boulder. What are your thoughts on this? Because I, I think it's a game that, if it was neutral site or at home, wouldn't scare me one bit, really, to be honest. But since it's on the road, that that gives me a little bit of pause. But just on paper, mm-hmm. though, I, I I think Tennessee should be able to handle business. But you never know when it's your first true road game of the season. Yeah. Um... I think you're right in the fact that if this game were being played anywhere other than at Colorado, then I think everybody would should feel a lot better. And again, I, I still think Tennessee should win this game. Let's be clear. Uh, let me get that out. Let me get that out there. Uh, Tennessee should still win this game, but 
if there's a thing that concerns you, it's the fact that um, when Colorado has played away from uh, uh, when, when Colorado has played away from from Boulder, they're shooting 22% from three point range. And that's the three games in the Paradise Jam, which which is what you were talking about, mm-hmm. and the game at UCLA. Um, in their home games, they're shooting 44% from three. Quite a difference, yeah, and wow. so yeah, you're talking about and like this. If they think they're a good team, like all the advantages are in Colorado's favor. Like Tennessee's only advantage is that it's expect it's more talented. Not, I'm not saying that they're not better, but the only advantage walking into that game is that they're more talented. Because if you have a Colorado team that thinks that they're good and they need one of those quote-unquote victories to kind of spurn them on, then you have the, everything is in your favor because it's a new it's noon there. Like, I don't care how quickly Tennessee flies to, uh, to Colorado and how quickly they get acclimated. Um, that's still going to be tough because that's a noon tip. You know, there. It's a 2 o'clock tip in, you know, in Knoxville. And so that that will present some challenges, especially, you know, with, you know, a, a, a very not anti-Tennessee crowd as much as a pro-Colorado crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a young team that may not know any better. I mean, Tennessee's team is young as well, let's be clear. But uh, this team, this Colorado team, is just young enough to not know any better and not really care that they should be, quote unquote, maybe intimidated by like a Tennessee so I, I, again, I think when it's all said and done, Tennessee pulls out a good victory, uh, a, a necessary victory, because I mean, a lot of people get wrapped up in, you know, and ranked victories and blah 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 blah. None of that stuff actually matters when you're barely into December. Everybody's ranked at some point in December. Everybody thinks that they're good in December, like, but this has an opportunity to be a win this this will be a good win in a tough road environment think of like in the you know probably in the same realm as a going on the road and beating like an old miss team i'm not saying they're similar i'm saying that's the sort of program that colorado kind of is they're good like i mean yeah, they're they're pesky enough but the win looks good enough at the end of the year to where you can kind of build on it that's kind of what i'm looking at with this game and so um. Yes, I, I think the Tennessee wins. If you ask me how, I don't have a clue. I don't <laughs> have the answer. I, I, I'm not, and I'm not saying it's going to be that tough of a test. Um, can Tennessee consistently find ways to score baskets when the threes aren't falling? That will be the biggest challenge for this team this season. If they can do that, they're going to beat a lot of teams. But every game that they can't figure out how to do that, but there's if they still continue to shoot uh, a lot of a lot from long range, then they're not going to have success. If they can find ways to have success when they're not hitting threes, 10, 12, 15 threes in a game, now you're talking about something that now you're talking about a team that you can bet on because you've shown another element of your ability to win. And I think that's going to be key to this team's uh, prospects the rest of the way. Yeah, the the three point shooting is interesting. I um, 
I tweeted this out during the Presbyterian game because Tennessee in that game ended up making 14 threes, um, and that was their third time this season of making 10 or more threes in a game. They've done that three times now in six games this year. Gene, they did that three times in 27 games all of last season. So, again, I, I expect these numbers to not, you know, they're not going to continue to hit double-digit threes in, in half their games this season. But just the fact they've done that three times in six games this year and they did it three times like in 27 contests all of last year, is, it, it just shows to me that this team is consistently a better three-point shooting team than last year. And also, you are taking more, too. Tennessee, every game this season has taken at, at least 23-pointers. Um, 27 against Presbyterian, and their, their low was 20 against North Carolina, and they still hit nine of those. So they, they almost hit 10 in that game, too. They really only had one truly awful game shooting. That was against Villanova, and, and as you brought up, yeah, very, very good point, Gene. That's been clearly their worst offensive game of the year. But is that has the, is that more of a blip on the radar? Because you also look at Tennessee Tech. They didn't shoot great from three in that game. But then you were able to, again, it was against Tennessee Tech, but you are able to, in that game, have a just outstanding post-performance from basically almost all your post players. Olivier, Fulgerson, Tony um, Hatfield, you had other guys, some of the wing, wing guys were able to drive, like Scovey was able to go in and if he wasn't hitting threes, he was able to drive in the lane and finish up the rim, which was impressive. Tennessee was also a perfect 10 from 10 from the free throw line of that game. Um, so they, they've shown the ability to, in one or two games really, um, that they can score if they're not consistently hitting a bunch of threes. But you're right, Gene, they, you're going to have to be able to do that in the SEC. You're going to have to be able to do that in these games coming up if you want to win because if you're not hitting them against Colorado, they don't shoot a ton of threes. That In fact, they've not attempted more than nine. Uh, excuse me, they, they attempted 21 against UCLA. But before, the, against that, before that game against UCLA, they hadn't attempted more than 19 threes in a game. But you're right, they, they've been really good at home when they've shot the three. They've shot... Uh, Oh, they—they. That's they, just weird. Looking at their their splits, like you said, twenty-two percent away from Boulder, but at home shooting like forty something, like really high forties percentage. They had forty-seven percent against Montana State, forty-one percent against New Mexico, and then thirty-seven percent against Stanford. Which also, it's, I think it's weird that they've already played a couple Pac-12 games and they have a break here where they're going to play a few more non-conference games and then get back into Pac-12 play. That I don't know. That's weird to me that it's split up like that, but. Uh, they played Tennessee, Eastern Washington, Milwaukee, Cal State, Bakersfield, and then Kansas, and then they go back into Pac-12 play. So that's, I don't know, that's weird to me. But anyway, it's not just this game, though, Gene. I, again, like you said, I, I expect Tennessee to win. I don't know how exactly they'll do it. I expect, though, we'll see uh, a heavy dose of Ves- Vescovy. Excuse me, I'll say his name right. Vescovy, Powell, and probably Chandler as well. But I'll be interested to see what do we get from Kanwha in this game. Uh, what do we get from Fulkerson in this game? What about Huntley Hatfield? Because I think you're seeing more and more... I think you should start seeing more minutes go to Huntley Hatfield and maybe even uh, Jonas Adu rather than Urosh. But Gene, before we move on to looking ahead also to the Texas Tech game, I, I kind of, now that I'm I'm here and, and talking about it, I had a, a guest on last week before Thanksgiving um, with, with my buddy Ryan came on again from RTI to talk both the men's and women's teams. And we talked a little bit about Victor Bailey there. Gene... <laughs> It's been a rough start for Victor Bailey. Then he came out on uh, the game against Presbyterian and had easily his best game of the season and and looked like maybe he broke out of his shooting slump, was 3 of 17 from 3 to start the year. And then that game, he was, I think, like 3 of 5 in the first half of that game. 
Um, I think he, what did he finish? He finished four of eight from three in that game. Again, he's he's been known to be a streaky shooter. It's not like he's, you know, been a consistent three-point shooting guy. He's not like a, been like a Justin Powell in his, his, what, 20 games he's played so far where he's been a fairly consistent guy. Best can be, can be streaky as well, but not nearly as streaky as what Victor Bailey is. Is this a case of, of Barnes knowing that, you know, this is early in this season, you can afford him to have slumps here, and you're playing him early and starting him now, obviously, because you've had Josiah out um, the past couple games, and, and hopefully he can get back in the lineup sometime soon. And Powell was obviously out um, that game as well. But is this a case of you're playing him early to make sure he doesn't lose that confidence completely, you know, once you get into February and March? Um, because I think that's kind of what he's kind of you're having to do right now. You can afford to do this right now against some of these cupcake teams. You can probably even afford to do it even against a uh, you know a Colorado, maybe even a Texas Tech. But you're going to need Victor Bailey's head on right, you know, come SEC play, come time when you're in, in conference play. That was a absolutely brutal beginning of the season for him. It, it was nice to see him break out against Presbyterian. But what what are you expecting from him moving forward? Because I he's streaky. He hasn't played great defense. He hasn't made some. He's made some kind of not smart decisions so far this start of this year. I'm willing to overlook that if he can get back on track and if his head's on straight and he any you know recovers. But I think it's a case of Vert Barnes feels like you know we need him. But not if he was a post player, you would more you need him a lot more. But you can get by with not having to play him later on the season. But as the season's already shown, Josiah's been hurt. Powell's gotten sick. Like. Just because you have good backcourt depth doesn't mean you're always going to have it because you could have injuries. You can have you know, unforeseen circumstances happen. So, Victor, I want to really root for him. I, I like him as a person, I think, just from his personality and stuff. But, man, it's been frustrating to watch him. He, he's, he's been one of the more frustrating Tennessee players to watch in the past couple of years because when he's on, he's really good. But when he's off, man, he has been really bad when he's been off, especially this year. He, he was 0-4 from 3 against Villanova, 0-3 for 3 against Tennessee Tech, 2-7 of seven from 3 against UT Martin. It, it wasn't until this game against Presbyterian where he really was worth you know, mentioning from 3-4. He was 1-2 of two against UTSU, but he's 3-4 um, inside the three-point line in that game. But Gene, just basically your thoughts on this and, and about you know, do you keep playing him more and more now in hopes that that keeps him his confidence level buoyed heading into conference play i don't think there's a thing out there that will shake victor bailey's confidence (laughs) because i I think that's who you are i mean like at some point like you i'll always say you if you don't have an irrational confidence guy on your team then like you have to have a guy that no matter what the circumstance any i don't remember that i feel like there was a game last year Maybe it was like the Alabama game in the SEC tournament. It came down to a last play. And I remember who – I don't remember the circumstances. The game I was watching, somebody said, who gets the last shot? Because it was a game-winner sort of situation. And Bailey took it because Bailey was the person who was willing to take it. You have to have – you have to have a guy. A lot of people will sit there and – and a lot of players in their mind will think about, man, I man, I wish I would be in that moment. And, but then they get that moment and they're not ready for it. And then you have some of those who are, who embrace that moment. And that's who I think Victor Bailey is. Like, obviously he struggled in the early part. And 
we all probably should not take any sweeping assumptions or any sort of thoughts from what's transpired in the early part of the season, good or bad, with a lot of the competition uh, that they've gone against. Because when you look at who they've played, you get past you get past Carolina and you get past Villanova. I'm not sure that there's a team that you look at and you're like, that's the sort of team. That's that's who we need to judge who we are off of. Because mm-hmm. so let's just look back at last year. Tennessee was being judged off of Colorado and a bunch of, you know, mid-major programs. I've seen Tennessee Tech play twice. I know what they are. I know exactly what they are. That was not good what happened. Um, Now, look, maybe UTC is better. I don't think UTC is better than Tennessee. They're certainly not more talented. Yeah. The baby, but I watched that UTC team, you know, go down 13 in the first half in Cookville and get up 20 by the time it was all over with. I think they won by 15, 17 points. Just overwhelmed them. Um, but when I look at this Tennessee team and I look at a guy like Victor Bailey, for them to be successful, he has to have some sort of role. Some sort of role. Like, again, maybe it's just irrational confidence guy. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I don't know if... if Justin Powell has some of that in him as well. I mean, he certainly is shooting the you-know-what out of the ball right now. Powell, obviously, I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Powell officially takes that position away from Bailey. But until these things kind of get sorted out, which means you've played teams better than uh, Tennessee Tech and Presbyterian, then it's hard, you know, that if you're Rick Barnes – you have to kind of keep people mentally engaged and involved because we've all seen the Rick Barnes movie. This rotation may be something right now, but it's not going to be that way come January and February. And this guy is going to figure out his guys that he feels like he can go with. And that's going to be that like maybe Bailey's a part of that. But I I imagine that if, if, if Rick Barnes goes with an, an eight man rotation, and Victor Bailey is nine. Victor Bailey's over there thinking the entire time I can go six for six from three point range if you just get put me in the game. Because that's who he is. And again, I admire that. Completely admire that. He's got to figure some stuff out, man. He's obviously not shooting the ball well. Uh, what is he now? Like he's he's up to twenty eight percent from three. <laughs> right. Yeah. Up to twenty eight percent from three. So I think you keep that. You have to keep a guy like that at least somewhat locked in. Um, now he has to do something other than shoot the ball. Uh, I mean, like yeah. that's that's got to be clear. Like he yeah, has it, to bring something other to the table other than just shooting the ball. Yeah, because that's part of the it, problem. He, he's not not even averaging a rebound per game. He's barely averaging an assist per game. Not not you know under one steal per game. So yeah, that that's the other issue I have is he's not doing really much else other than just shooting the three also because you look at his his stat line he's he's taken uh he's taken 36 shots this season and 25 of them have been from three so and in and in the six games he's grabbed five rebounds he's fourth in the team in shot attempts and eighth in scoring um yeah like that is he's played 104 minutes and he's taken 36 shots Conversely, Olivier, 42 shots in 142 minutes. 
Uh, Vescovi, 76 and 168. You know, obviously, some of those are going to look a little weird. Vescovi, 76 and 168 minutes, no issue whatsoever with that because he's yeah, shooting good percentages. 35% from three, 42% from the field. Kennedy Chandler, shooting 50% from three, 49% from the field, 68 shots, 165 minutes. But Bailey's essentially coming off the bench. He's playing 17 minutes a game and getting up six shots a game. Those are amazing numbers, especially when you look and realize he's shooting 36% from the field and 28% from three. That is amazing confidence. But the thing about it is he's going to have another game like that Mm -hmm. against somebody better than Presbyterian. I'm not judging you on the Presbyterian stuff because I, I understand that the kid is a better basketball player than what he's shown right now. He's had good minutes against teams other than Presbyterian. Like people got excited about some of the stuff he did last year. Again, there were some of those Presbyterian sort of performances last year as well. But I think the kid's a good player. I think the kid can be a good shooter. He just has to find it. It's that simple. And the sooner he finds it, the better that this team will be. Uh, because, I, again, right now, I think they need him. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think he's a guy that, obviously, I, I trust the shooting of Vescovi and Powell and Chandler, honestly, more than him. But he's definitely – you still need a, a scoring guy off the bench, which I think technically if you're looking at uh, – here we go. I, th- I think if you're looking at when Powell's healthy, he's a starter. I think you're looking at Vescovy, Powell, Kennedy, Josiah, and Fulkerson. I don't know. That's a good question because maybe Powell comes off the bench still. But regardless, you, you need more than just one guy who can score off the bench. And, and to me – like you said, I think you need you need Bailey, even if he's the eighth guy, maybe even ninth, probably not ninth way. If he's eighth guy out there, you still need him out there. But man, like you said, I'd I, I would I'd be hesitant to, like you said, base too much off of his early season here because I, I was looking at his stats last year. He had eleven games last season where he shot thirty eight percent or better from three, and then fourteen where he shot under thirty percent. So again, he's just very streaky. He's he's hitter, he's gonna either light it up and be really good from three, or he's probably going to be missing a lot of shots from three. You, you don't – you can usually – I think someone that I heard on, uh, I think maybe at a Swain event this week, um, maybe even maybe even Ben, ben McKee, I'm not sure which, whoever it was, was saying that you can usually tell pretty early in a game if it's going to be a good or bad shooting night for Bailey. If Because it seems like if he hits one or two early, that kind of gets his confidence even more – You know, not that he – like you said, not that he relaxed confidence, but it kind of gets his – his rhythm going better, and it's going to be a good game for him. He misses his first couple of shots, then it, it a lot of times doesn't doesn't bode well for him. But I think he's going to be he's going to be an interesting one to watch. Him and him and Powell, and kind of how that that minutes those minutes get divvied up because I think Powell to me is just a better overall player than Victor Bailey. And I'm looking right now at their, the the true shooting percentages on the team this year. Right now, again, it's we're six games in. It's a little hard to measure too much but for those who don't know the true shooting percentage uh, is a measure of a shooting efficiency that takes into account two-point field goals three-point field goals and free throws so basically it's kind of like your it's combining basically your two three and and free throws shooting percentages kind of all together and and saying this is how good of a a pure shooter you are number one of the team is justin powell with a 72.3 percent true shooting percentage victor bailey is 10th and basically last among all all 
main contributors other than Josiah Jordan James, who again he's only played in three games so far and, and I think has been hampered by injury. But Victor Bailey's is only forty seven point four percent of her true shooting percentage. Not good. Again, we're six games in, so I, I don't want to make too big of a deal, but I definitely wanted to hear your thoughts on it, Gene, because I uh, hadn't had a chance to talk to you about Bailey just yet. But we're also looking ahead to... Go ahead. Get, yeah, go ahead. Let, let me get one last thought in right now. Mm-hmm. This is completely unrelated, but it doesn't really matter. Works uh, people can kind of feel about this how they want to, but I've got a score update for everybody. Um, Liberty, 49. Missouri, 26. Ooh. 12 minutes ago in the game. Uh, just wanted to say that. I think oh that was gosh. I think that was 35 to 11 uh, late in the first half. It got to 35 to 14 at halftime. Um, not good. Uh, not good. Yeah, not good I, don't, I don't want to get too. Yeah, yeah I don't get too sidetracked, but yeah, yeah, I don't get too sidetracked. But man, Missouri's had a rough start. Not good Man. for the league, not good for the head coach. But anyways, I just felt like that needed to be introduced to the pod. It's <laughs> to the pod. Now let's keep it moving. Yeah, Conzo uh, is very much in danger in Missouri of going 4-4 four and four now with losses to Kansas City, a massive blowout loss to Florida State, Wichita State, and now looking very much so, like you said, they're about to lose to a 3-3 three and three Liberty team. So, whew. Anyway, we, we, can, we will get to some more... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and like I said, I don't, I don't know that there's some. I don't think a lot of Vol fans have any have hatred for Conzo. I know there are some who obviously do, but we'll, we'll get to a team that Vol fans for sure have a lot of hatred for here in a second. Uh, but also looking ahead here to that Tennessee, or excuse me, the Texas Tech game, um, because I, I was talking about this is early in the season. I think we've seen a lot, and, and because you can't afford to, I think we've seen a lot of Rick Barnes so far. Um, Kind of tinkering with the lineup, you know, not maybe not as much with the starting lineup unless you've you know had to because of injuries or sickness and stuff. But like tinkering with how much you're playing guys, when you're playing guys, kind of the lineups you're seeing in, in the middle of the games and, and you know what the the five you have on the floor and stuff. And you need to do that because you have a lot of new. You have you have some good returning guys from last year, um, and they've been producing for you. But you definitely have a lot a lot of new on this team. Gene, is this Texas Tech game? <laughs> Is this a game where you, this is the it'll be the eighth game of the year? You you just have finished your your true road test of the season, first road test of the season. You're coming back from that on a Tuesday night. That's a pretty quick turnaround. This is this is this is not a easy kind of stretch here for Tennessee. You're going on the road for the first time, and then you have to come back from a, a long flight, and then have to turn around and play on Tuesday night at home against a really good team. But is this Texas Tech game where we really truly kind of see the first inklings of what we think Rick Barnes has, like what, what, what we think Rick Barnes thinks he has, basically? Is this the game where we see kind of the the rotation, the the you know the kind of the five men on the floor that we're gonna possibly see once we get into SEC play? Because I, I think I think we there's a good chance we do because you, you see Texas Tech, then you have North Carolina Green, North Carolina Greensboro, South Carolina Upstate. And then you have Memphis, Arizona, and then SEC play. So, like, you have two more cupcake games to kind of tweak some things a little bit. I think this Texas Tech game is the first taste we get of, okay, this is what Rick Barnes is thinking he really, truly has with this team. Because I, I think with Villanova, it's still ter- too early in the season to know. You still were playing guys that in that game that you were wanting to see what you could get from. And also with Kenny Chandler's early foul trouble, you had to, to an extent, too. Same thing with UNC. I think in that game we did see um, Hunky, Hunky Hatfield play a good chunk of minutes in that game. Um, but again, that was kind of still early in the season, still trying to figure things out. Once we get to Texas Tech, that's a darn good team. They score a lot of points. They, they've they not 
given up a lot of points so far this year either. I think that's the game where we really kind of see, okay, this is these are the guys, this is maybe the eight, nine-ish man rotation we could see come late December, early January once we get into the, the meat of the schedule here. Yeah, and I think that's why you schedule in the fashion that um, that Barnes has scheduled to where you get some of those early games to kind of maybe just give a bunch of guys opportunity to see how they play in a game sort of atmosphere. And then once you get into that, now you can kind of say you, you get about four or five games, you get that information, and then you kind of just kind of go from there. Uh, I think you'll see a lot of that this um, Saturday against Colorado because I do think that'll be a test. And then you'll see against Texas Tech, that's when you'll you'll take the next step to kind of understanding exact excuse me, exact, understanding what he's trying to do. Because, I mean, after these two, I mean, after these two games, it's UNC Greensboro, it's uh, USC Upstate. Mm-hmm. Like, those aren't the sorts of games. Like, but like these, those are the sorts of games that are really going to test you. Um, these next two will. So these two are where you kind of check your rotation out. Um, I know selfishly, I would probably have switched these four games <laughs> if I could have and had UNCG and um, USC Upstate flipped with the other two. That way, you get two more games to kind of figure some stuff out. And now you then you go some some semblance of Colorado, Texas Tech, Memphis, uh, which I understand we're going to talk about Arizona, and then you go into uh, SEC play. That would that would have been kind of a sprint to the finish sort of situation, but um, but yeah, I mean I, I think we'll see exactly what over the next two games see what he is kind of thinking. Uh, with the rotations and who's going to get the minutes, who's going to, what are the lineups that you probably feel most comfortable about? Who do you feel most comfortable about? Mm-hmm. Because now is when you figure that out. And uh, some guys who have had opportunities, how have they done in those opportunities? Because you can't judge some players off of, like, unfortunately, you can't judge Victor Billy off Presbyterian. Because after, after you play USC Upstate, guess who's not on the schedule? Anybody close to a Presbyterian type school? Yeah. Anybody? Not not for the rest of the year. Nope. Unless well, anybody. You can maybe, you can maybe count Georgia or Vanderbilt, but that's still not going to be USC Upstate level. <laughs> I mean, Georgia just beat a team that we're about to talk about. Oh, so, I know. Gene. Oh man. I mean, Vandy Vandy looked good against VCU. Yeah, and Vandy's only Vandy has well, one loss, and that's to VCU. I don't know. <laughs> you said looks good, Gene. I mean, they, it was a close game. <laughs> I wouldn't say anything about that game looked good, though. <laughs> that was an ugly game. That was like what the, that forty something, the thirty something game. That's what you're talking hey, about? Hey, man. Tech, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, Texas Tech made it to a national championship playing ugly basketball. That's true. Uh, and and I actually thought it had a really good shot of winning it. I actually thought probably should have won it. Now look, Virginia won a national championship that same year, that same way. Mm-hmm. And but anyways, bringing it back, you're not going to face teams where you can just feel good about yourself because mm-hmm. you put up some crazy stats and people got excited. Like you know, like the Kennedy Chandler stat lines aren't quite as great. They're still good, 
because he's a great player, but they're not quite as elite as what they were those first couple games of the season when people were falling all over themselves. He's a great player, but he's not going to give you 25 and 10 sort of numbers. Right. Yeah, he, I mean, if, if he can consistently – like, we'll see what he is in some of these other games. Can he give you 18 and 7? Because I think he's that sort of good. I think he's that sort of good. Maybe 16 and sixteen and 6, whatever, with, a, with low turnover numbers. If he gives you that, you're great. If Justin Powell continues to shoot, he, I don't think he'll shoot 55% from three in SEC play. No disrespect no. <laughs> to the kid, just don't think like forty three percent is really good too. Um, mm. What will Josiah Jordan James give you when he gets back? What does Olivier become? Olivier was Olivier was Rick Barnes's project this offseason. So far, that's a project that looks like it's worked out. Ten and seven turns the ball over still a little too much, considering the schedule that Tennessee's played. You shouldn't be second on your. You should be second on that team in turnovers. You know, you sh- I mean, considering who you played, you get past Villanova, Carolina, not exactly a murderer's murderer's row of competition, and you're still second on the team in turnovers. Um, but what does Olivier become? Does he continue to grow and develop? Because so far, he's looked really good this year. I don't care about the turn. I mean, turnover numbers notwithstanding. Blocking one shot a game. Seven rebounds. Ten points. He's doing a lot of good things. So what does – like, that's why I think these next two games are so intriguing because, you know, to you know, to come to come all the way back around and answer your question, I do think we're going to figure out exactly what these rotations are ultimately going to look like. Um guess you've got to I mean once you hit December you have to have some sort of idea otherwise you don't have an identity you have to have an idea as to what this thing looks like is going to look like because I don't care what conference you're in you play 14 conference games 16 18 whatever it may be you've got to have a clue as to what you're trying to do otherwise you're just out there getting cardio <laughs> and you're not winning and Rick Barnes is a winner, won everywhere. So um, I'm interested to see what it looks like, who gets more minutes than we expect. Is there a surprise? Does Bailey sneak into the rotation? It's a good question right now. Um, stay tuned, I guess, is the best way you can say it, because I, I think it's going to be interesting to see just how it all plays itself out. Yeah, one hundred percent. And, and it, it's worth noting too. I, 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 again, I think Texas Tech is a good team, and I think they've been underrated by, um, I guess some of the media this year. But it, it is very much worth noting, though, that their their strength of schedule has been ludicrously weak. And, and looking at Ken Palm right now, um, there are three hundred fifty eight Division one teams in men's college basketball, and Texas Tech's adjusted strength of schedule is three hundred fifty fourth. So they've not been playing a whole lot of teams, Gene. Uh, and and, and at this, I was looking at the schedule, and I was like, some of these teams, I, I don't know that I've – like, I've heard of them, but I, just, like, I, don't, I don't know how good they are. And I, so I was like, what's their strength of the schedule? Uh, answer is very weak. Uh, the, the teams they've played so far, they did just lose at Providence, but I think they had um, – I, I want to say they had some people either hurt or sick in that game, but still they shouldn't have lost to Providence. 
Uh, but they played North Florida, Grambling, Prairie View, Incarnate World, Omaha, Lamar, and Providence. I mean, Providence is is what probably the I guess the one with the most brain recognition there. But they they were not like a they're they're sixtieth in Ken Palm. They're they're not a bad team. That that's been the best team they've played so far. And again, they lost by three. But again, I, I I'm fairly certain they had some people out in that game. I, I'll have to look at the box score. Um, actually, let me do it right now and see if they had some guys out because I feel like some of their regular contributors were not in there. Um, yeah, it looks like some of the guys that play regularly for them weren't available in that game. I think if I'm looking at this right. Regardless, though, it's still going to be a tough matchup. And um, like you said, you don't you have two games after that that are lighter on the schedule, and then you get into every other team you're playing at that point is a is a is a basically a power five power six conference program it's it's memphis it's arizona and then it's sec play and speaking of memphis gene oh i wanted to get to this and i, I, know, I knew this was this is all this the only reason you wanted to do this podcast oh yeah this is the only reason i want to do a podcast this week I know. uh i understand no like i don't want to spend too much time on it because i, I also want to get to some <laughs> another reason i wanted to do a podcast this week uh some comments from candace parker some brutally honest ones about gina oriema uh, so I'll get to that in a second too, but man, Gene, the team that I think Vol fans hate the most, other than Kentucky and basketball, I don't know. Maybe I'd say it's probably Memphis because I mean I, I think they, they hate more the coaches at Auburn and LSU. Of course, some fans still love Bruce Pearl, but you know what I'm saying Will Wade and Bruce Pearl don't have a whole lot of love from Vol fans. But I think team wise, it's Kentucky, and then it's it's Memphis. Um, Memphis. We, we were talking about <laughs> Missouri. Not having a good start. Memphis not having a good start right now either for a, a, a program that head coach Penny Hardaway said this offseason he wanted all the smoke, had all these really highly touted guys coming in. Uh, they're currently 5-2 and two on a two-game losing streak, and they've lost to two just really, really bad teams. I mean, I guess Iowa State's actually good this year. They're 7-0 and oh right now. Gosh, I didn't reserve that good. Um they uh they've <laughs> turned around a lot from last year. I think the transfer portals really kind of um, helped them turn around this year. But still, Memphis lost by almost twenty to Iowa State, and then they lost to Georgia. Who Gene? We had neither one of us even had any hesitation in our, our preseason picks of picking Georgia to, I mean, easily be the the last team in the league and a, a team that I, I thought would struggle to win more than two conference games this year. They lost them by three on uh, Tuesday night or Wednesday night. It's Wednesday night. I don't even know what day week it is right now. Gene lost <laughs> Wednesday night uh, against Georgia, eighty-two seventy-nine. This is a Memphis team that has all this talent. And granted, there's there's definitely a lot of young talent. There are a couple of guys on there, just like Tennessee. There, there are a couple of guys who um, you know should still be in high school right now. They're they're guys who tra- or, uh, reclassified and um, are very young, but they're very talented. They're, there's Several guys who returned from last year too. You have guys like Lester Quinones who who's been there for, gosh, it feels like forever. Uh, Landers Nolly, who's I think he's been there a couple years. I, I don't remember if he's a transfer or not. But you have you have guys. Point is, Lomax has been there for a while. Tyler Harris has been there for a while. Like you have guys who are experienced on that team, along with the guys like Jalen Duran and Imani Bates, uh, who are really talented young freshmen on the team. And Gene, this is a team that is averaging. Where is it at? 19 turnovers a game, which is the second most in the country right now. Like that's I get it. You have like you have some young guys. You also got some older guys who are still turning the ball over a, a ton. Alex Lomax averaging two and a half turnovers a game. 
Quinones is actually one of the lowest on the team. He's averaging 1.3. Imani, Duran, and DeAndre Williams are all averaging 2.7 turnovers a game right now. Uh, this is a team that is not shooting particularly great. They're okay, I guess. Well, they're actually okay from the overall field goal percentage. They're not shooting as well as that you'd expect, though, with some of the offensive talent they have. It's really defensively where they've been not good. And again, all the turnovers and stuff. They, they just, they've been extremely disappointing. And, and again, this is also, you look at what happened last year with Memphis. Uh, didn't start out great last year um, either. I think they were, what, 5-4 and four at one point? Yeah, they, were, they, they dropped to 6-5 and five after a loss to Tulsa last year. And then obviously went on and, and ended the season doing all right. They obviously didn't end it good enough to get to the NCAA tournament. And then they ended up going on and, and winning the NIT. So, like, they, they finished strong. And then they, they, they didn't start out well last year either. So maybe it's a case of this team, again, this year, ends up starting off really poorly and then going and, and finishing better. But Tennessee ain't playing them later in the season. Gene Tennessee plays them here in, like, two weeks. Again, it, it would be the most Tennessee thing ever for Memphis to – be stinging up the place. They play Ole Miss. They play Murray State. They play Alabama. And then they play Tennessee. Man, that's a, man, that's a rough slate of games they have coming up. I doesn't realize they have a <laughs> – they don't have an easy non-conference schedule. Um, of course, Murray State's not the Murray State of of John Moramp. They're – or yeah, that's a job. But they're still 6-1 and one right now, so they're not bad. But anyway, Gene, basically this is just me wanting to say that I can't believe of all the teams to lose to on their non-conference slate, Georgia, That's that is a – I mean, it's, it's a horrible Georgia team this year. Gene, we, we talked about it before on this podcast, how I don't see how this team isn't the worst team in the SEC. I'll be stunned if, if Georgia isn't the team that finishes last in the SEC. And you go out there and lose them by three. Uh, Severe Wheeler, never mind, he, he's with Kentucky. I, I got really excited for a second. I forgot he transferred because everyone on Georgia's team transferred and Georgia still goes out and wins. It, it, I, I didn't get to watch much of the, the, the game. I really got to see some highlights. It seemed like Memphis just kind of collapsed late in that game a little bit, and Georgia put up 50 points in the second half. I don't know that Georgia's going to score more than 50 in a game a whole lot in the SEC this year. Gene, my, my whole point in this is that Penny Hardaway has a lot of questions to answer right now, and I still, even though this is happening, even though they're struggling – I'm still worried about that game when it comes time to play it, Gene, because it's Memphis and Tennessee. They're both going to be super hyped for it. They're both going to be up for it. It's neutral side, I think. He has neutral side in Nashville. But, man, it's going to be Tennessee luck for Memphis to come out and play their best game of the season. Tennessee will have a Villanova-like performance, and then Tennessee will lose by, like, 10 in that game. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to, like, do too much trash talking because I am honestly genuinely worried that that game is just going to go really poorly. If I do too much trash talking, it's going to come back and bite me. But... I'm not going to lie. I, I have enjoyed the last couple games of Memphis losing and losing in really spectacular fashion to Iowa State and then losing to this Georgia team of all teams. That's dead last in the, the Ken Palm and SEC right now, I, I believe. They were in the last checked. All right. So, I'm trying to think how to, how to best frame <laughs> this. So, let, let me let me say this first for all of the things that are plaguing them right now. And I'll get to that. Um, Jalen Duran is everything that has been written about him, said about him, whatever. Seven to 11 points, seven to nine rebounds. He's blocking almost four shots a game. He's getting a still a game. 
shooting 65% from the field. Uh, struggles a little bit at the line, but that is it's neither here nor there. Um, I wanted to get that out first. Mm-hmm. So here's my only reservation because I think you, Nathaniel, as a Tennessee fan, should be 1,000% concerned about the Tennessee-Memphis game because they've played a tougher schedule. Oh, yeah. Uh, Like, I was looking, I was just glancing at their schedule. And, I mean, I get it. I mean, again, the Tennessee Tech team that you struggle, you struggle with at times, it'd be about 25. Um, North Carolina Central, whatever, you beat them by 40. Once you get past those two games, every team that is listed here, St. Louis, Western Kentucky, Virginia Tech, Iowa State, and Georgia, minus Georgia, the other four teams are always hovering around the tournament. The other four yeah. are. You know, St. Louis is a good A-10 team. Western Kentucky gets just as many five-star prospects as Tennessee. Yeah. And if you think I'm joking, look it up, folks. Mm-hmm. They get at least one. They got Charles Bassey was their last one. Uh, Mitchell Robinson played there, who's a, who's a New York Nick right now, has played there. They keep at least one five-star. You know why? Because Rick Stansberry. That's all you yeah, need to know. I don't need to go coach. into details. <laughs> if you know, you know. He was Mississippi State. You know, whatever. If you know, you know. Rick Stansberry. Um so there is not necessarily at a talent discrepancy playing against Western Kentucky. I think Tennessee Western Kentucky would be a fun game to watch one of these years. Oh, I would love uh, that. Um, no, I think Tennessee wins. I mean, regardless, but still be fun though. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's a close sort of game. It's my mom's alma mater. A lot of good, a lot of fun reasons to watch that game. Um, Virginia Tech, coached by you know former Wofford coach Mike Young. He's trying to build something there. I feel like they beat somebody recently that may have gotten some people excited. I don't remember who, but I felt like they may, – maybe I'm wrong. I'm sorry. And if I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but I feel like they beat somebody that got people excited. Now, Iowa State and Georgia, Iowa State, whatever. Georgia, two weeks ago I called them stinky. Today I call them stinky. Um, one thing I've noticed when I watched Memphis play – and some of this comes when you are a team that is kind of led by your young players. Your offenses were better than you. It's not necessarily an offense. It's like you're just five guys out there that are going to just use your guys that are better than the other team. Here's what I look at. And again, this this feeds into a lot of the stuff that Tennessee fans said when the hiring first happened. Like, this is an opportunity for Penny to grow as a basketball coach. Because a lot of the stuff that was said, again, I was covering Tennessee at the time, very aware of what was said. He's an AAU coach. What are some of the elements of AAU? Just throw your talented players out there and let them be more talented than the opposition. Get it. I 1,000% get it. And I kind of cringed, you know, in part because, you know, Penny was one of my favorite players growing up. So I'm like, let's see how this thing goes. 
like I'm all about I don't care I don't care if kids walk on schools I don't care what the circum I don't care if kids bet on themselves I want kids to do all that stuff I want people to have an opportunity and take full advantage of it they may not otherwise get so I wanted to see how the penny thing worked out so we're in year four now um but I don't know what he, I don't know what he's trying to accomplish when he's game planning for another team. Offensively, I don't know what he's trying to do. Offensively, their style is we're more talented than you. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to do anything that bugs me, especially when you've got somebody as renowned as Larry Brown sitting on your bench. Larry Brown's not going to shut up for anybody. <laughs> so if Larry Brown is talking, are you listening to him? If Larry Brown's out there trying to change something you're trying to do, are you listening to him? Or are you just doing your own thing? Like, that's the stuff that I kind of have to question. Like, why do you bring Larry Brown and sit him on your bench if you're not going to give him a chance to make you better? It's been seven games. I get it. The Georgia loss, it bugs me. But I don't care. Like it doesn't care. It doesn't bug me to the point where I'm just going to like go off on this situation. Although I've been talking about it for a few minutes now, it just it's it's not. It, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But we're also talking about a team that, in some places, is young. Mm-hmm. Your two most talented players are young. They're both. They, I, they're both supposed to be in high school, right? Yep. So I they're say both they, 2022 they're, they're... kids who reclassified. Right. Yeah. So, like, unfortunately, in basketball, your identity typically comes from your best players. Everybody uses the thing that Memphis is older, blah, 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 blah. But you're ta- in a lot of cases, you're talking about guys like Lomax and Harris, Canones, that have been there for a while but they're not your best players. And, and can, can Imani Bates and Jalen Duran, can they fit into the overall system? Because just simply being better than everybody else is not always going to fly. Because as these kids are going to figure out, and I heard I heard some, stuff, some comments that Penny made the other night, last night that were kind of troubling, because he said that we're out here playing like an AAU team. My God, you were an AAU coach. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's on you. Mm-hmm. And I get it. It's been seven games, and I said I wouldn't get emotional, and I'm, here I am emotional. I'm frustrated. But, like, that's what – I mean, look, it's been seven games, so I'm willing to grant you just a little bit of leniency that maybe you can figure this out. But you're in year four. You know, everybody made the excuse when they fired Tubby Smith that he wasn't getting, he wasn't recruiting Memphis well enough and he wouldn't get in bed with all the shoe companies and blah, 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 to where they wouldn't get all the top players to come to Memphis because it's so easy because Calipari did it. And uh, Passner did it to an extent. Tubby wouldn't. But I guarantee if we were to look at the... (laughs) I don't think there's that much of a gap between what Tubby did and what Penny has done in Memphis. And maybe I'm 1,000% wrong there. But it has felt to me that Tubby just wasn't Memphis enough for Memphis. And that's why they got rid of him. 
because Tubby, anybody that knows the Tubby Smith, you know, effect, he's not going to get in bed with any sort of stuff. He's going to do things his way. He's got two of the most coveted jobs in the country in his career, Kentucky and Memphis, and pretty much lost them both for the same reason. He wouldn't do that stuff. That's who he is. Now, people can call that whatever they want to. That's just who he is. And so you're getting all the guys now. And you're not Kentucky guy. Mm-hmm. You're not Kentucky. For all the all the wars that Calipari has, you can book him for the second weekend in March. My God, you've never played in an NCAA tournament. Never once made it. Got the NIT banner though. And it's year four and you're out here talking about AAU stuff. You've got to fix that. Now look, maybe they fix it for Tennessee. I don't know. But it doesn't change any of the warts that are there right now as we speak on December 1st. Uh, unrelated, I totally forgot that uh, Johnny Jones got his coaching star as the head coach in Memphis. Anyway, uh, <laughs> But I think I, you make some really good points, Gene. And, and I will say, like, I, I was obviously trashing Memphis and, you know, enjoying their pain. But they're, like I said, like I said, I, it's still a team that scares me when Tennessee plays them. That they also love to run the floor. T- Tennessee's playing at a higher tempo this year than they have, I think, previously any other year under Rick Barnes. But um, right now, Memphis currently has the 10th highest tempo in the country. And they're a team that they turn over a ton, but they also force their opponents into a lot of turnovers. I think they're they're yeah, they're averaging seventeen a little over seventeen turnovers forced a game. They lead the country in blocks per game at nine. You mentioned Duran he's averaging three and a half blocks a game. <laughs> Imani Bates and DeAndre Williams are both averaging almost a block per game um, as well. So that like I said, them as a team averaging nine blocks per game, averaging almost ten steals a game. Uh so they'll turn they'll turn you over almost as often as they're turning the ball over themselves. And they run at a high tempo, um, so they love to run the court. They, they they play. I just they play fast and loose, and it's not a it's not a very clean game they play. But they can catch you off guard. They can score really quick. So, like you said, they're very talented at the same time. And Duran, for as much like you said, as much flack as he's gotten, still shooting the ball. Like you said, sixty five percent, averaging almost a double double. Like I said, three and a half blocks a game, averaging over a, a, a little over a steal per game as well. I mean, he's he's been pretty darn good. Um, Monty Bates, not, I guess, what maybe people were expecting, but he's still not bad either. 35% from three, 12 points a game, um, three rebounds a game as well. But, yeah, the, it, it was also – I I, for, I was going to bring that up and forgot. I'm glad you did, Gene, the, the comments after the game from uh, Penny as well. Yeah, like you said, that's on him. That's on this coaching staff. And, and if you're bringing in Larry Brown, who has – been coaching for decades and has been is like I think you said it too has forgotten more about coaching than Penny knows right now like you brought him in to help maybe listen to him are you listening to him are you taking that direction he's giving the you know giving you and giving the players because if you're not then what was the point of bringing him on if you're not going to listen to him if if you do that let's see it feels a lot like a a Butch Jones situation where you're bringing in guys who are highly touted coaches from other places and then you're not listening to them, and you're still doing things your own way. Or Jeremy Pruitt, <laughs> to basically Tennessee's last two coaches in football, where you're bringing in guys who are highly touted from other programs, 
and, and have really good track records, but then you're still not listening to them and you're stubborn and doing it your way because you think your way is infallible and you think your way is the best way and the only way that let things me, can be done and, and whatnot. Go ahead. Let me add, let me just simply add this about Larry Brown. If, if I recall, maybe I'm wrong on this, but if I recall, Larry Brown, um, he, he made his um, – he kind of created his identity identity defensively, um, and on that side of the court, Memphis is elite. Yeah, that was so that you're right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so like, let me scale back a little bit on what I said, only because as I remember his like that 2004 Pistons team that won the championship won it defensively. They didn't win it offensively. They weren't out here blowing teams out. Um, so let me give him that much to where Hall of Fame coach or not, like you have a personality as to what works for you. And defensively, I'm sitting here looking at the metrics. Um, because, and we talked about this earlier with Tennessee, what's, what's going to happen with Tennessee. And you mentioned it at the very beginning of the podcast, talking about Presbyterian. Good. I mean, a lot, a lot of teams, are going to say is Tennessee going to fall in love with the three again today? Because you know, like that's that's one way of guarding them. Like they have the t- they have a tendency of falling in love with shooting threes, and they don't look at other stuff. And Memphis is athletic enough to take away. Like if if Tennessee does fall in love with the three. Like you're not getting a bunch of defensive, I mean, offensive rebounds against a team like that. No, you're not. And, and so that would be something. Uh, that that's something that has to be kind of considered as well. Like to me, that's a scary game because uh, you beat them in Memphis. They beat you in Knoxville. Obviously, didn't get to play last year. We'll see what this year holds. But to me, that's a scary game because it's a neutral side game. It's probably going to be a pro Tennessee crowd, I'm assuming. Um, but that's that's the sort of environment, neutral site where, like, you'll have an Amani base that goes for 29 points. Something you know, you'll have an Amani base Kennedy Chandler sort of just battle that that becomes fun to watch. Um. But, like, yeah, I just wanted to say that, like, it, for everything that I said, I, I felt the need to scale it back because I started thinking about it as you were talking, and I'm like, if I recall, he made his bones defensively. Yeah, I mean, like, his, his six, 76ers teams were primarily led by one guy, Allen Iverson. And around Allen Iverson, he just had four guys. He had Matumbo. Aaron McKee, Eric Snow, guys like that. Bunch of guys who were just out there to, to play their role. So, it, it, I mean, if if defense is really what he brought to bring to the table, which is what I kind of think he is, then Larry Brown is definitely doing his job. Man, looking at <laughs> looking at Larry Brown's resume, Gene, just as a head coach in the NBA slash ABA in college basketball. He's coached over 2,700 games. 
So that doesn't include his his USA team, his national team. Doesn't include overseas. Doesn't include as an assistant. He's probably coached over well over three thousand plus games in his his career. That's that's an ungodly number. I, I don't know. I wonder if if anyone else is close to that. That's a, that's an insane amount of games he's coached as a head coach and assistant. Because uh, he's well, he's an assistant at UNC back in the '60s, and now an assistant at Memphis. But he's coached. Uh, <sighs> Like I said, coached for the <laughs> coached one season uh, for an Italian professional league in 2018. Uh, again, you know, coached in college ranks and in, in the NBA ranks, the ABA ranks. Also played uh, for like five, six years in the NBA as well. He was a uh, ABA All Star, I believe, or no, ABA All Star Game MVP. Excuse me. Yeah, he was he was an ABA All Star three times actually in the 60s. So, oh man, he's just been around for ever but anyway uh, also about about Memphis Gene, you were talking about offensive rebounds it, it this team yeah it's gonna be very tough you have Imani Bates 6-9 Jalen Duran 6-11 DeAndre Williams 6-9 Landers Nolly 6-7 and then Lester Quinona is a 6-5 and that's like that's your main guy main group right there Lomax is the, the other six man who is he's six foot but man that's whew, that's a lot of that's a really really tall team they're they're, they're in the top 50 in the country in rebounds so they average 40 40 a game uh, their opponents, by the way, Gene, averaging uh, 14 rebounds a game, which I want to say is one of the lowest. Yeah, I think 14 offensive rebounds a game, I think, is one of the lowest in the country. But I could be wrong about that. But anyway, uh, that's <laughs> I could talk a little bit longer about that. This is already a long podcast, but I want to get to the last topic here. That is about Candace Parker and her comments uh, about Gina Oriema. She did an interview recently with Taylor Rooks. And I th- want to say that's not fully on uh, YouTube. Yeah, I think I saw Taylor tweet out that it's going to be on YouTube by the end of this week, so maybe by the time you are listening to this, it will be on YouTube. Um, but she did a, a really awesome sit-down interview with Candace Parker, and, and and Taylor Rooks is just a... I mean, she's a really good professional. She does an excellent job with interviews. She, she She's someone I would say if you're an aspiring media person and, and want to learn about how to interview... Um, she's someone I would watch, but anyway, she she did a really good interview with um, Candace Parker, and, and Candace was asked about Team USA, you know, not being on the squad recently, um, being excluded from that, kind of the basically also kind of the UConn bias in women's sports, both media wise and, and the the Team USA stuff, because obviously Gino has been the <laughs> the coach there for a while. Uh, when she was asked about it, she said, "When I found out Gino was going to be the the coach there, I thought, well, yeah, well." There goes my chance of making it, basically. Um, basically saying that, like, the relationship and not her performance was why she was omitted from the final roster for that um, 2016 USA team where she, she was asked outright, and she said, I don't like him, he don't like me, we don't like each other. And also mentioning, um, gee, I cannot remember how you pronounce her name, but... Uh, Abumake, I think, says her name. But the, anyway, she was the MVP of WNBA, who was also left off the team, and that's actually where Candace got the most heated because she mentioned that you know you can do me wrong, I don't care, but you treat people I love wrong, and that gets me pissed off. And she got really passionate talking about Abumake uh, getting left off the the team as well. But gee, man, this is again as if Vol fans, Lady Vol fans, need another reason to dislike Gino. I mean, that was basically what everyone assumed was the reason why Candace got left off that 2016 team. And then Candace basically just came out and said it. Like, yeah, it wasn't because of performances. It's because we like each other. He didn't like me. And it was a grudge. And I, I've seen different people, not just not just Lady Ball fans. I've seen a lot of 
kind of WNBA fans in general and just women's basketball fans in general complaining about the UConn bias with ESPN. A lot of their analysts and stuff are former UConn players. Obviously, the Team USA has been a lot of former UConn players. And granted, UConn, I mean, they're a dynasty. They've put out a lot of really good players. So obviously, they're going to have players on the USA roster and and, and you know scattered throughout the WNBA. But it, it does seem like with Gino there that it's been sometimes, again, choosing those types of players over the Candace Parkers and the and the MVPs of the league too. But man, Gene, I, that, that, that interview with Candace, the little five-ish minute clip that Taylor Rooks put out there that uh, with, with Leecher Report um, has how many uh, views at this point? Just that, that five and a half minute clip has almost 200,000 views at this point um, on just her Twitter alone. Again, I, I'd imagine the YouTube video when it comes out will be uh, very heavily viewed, but she touched on a lot of different things in the interview and especially in that five minute clip. But I gotta say, Gene, it, <laughs> it is, it, it, it just another, I mean, I don't know what else all fan lady all fans are going to need to, to dislike Gino, but it just, it just adds more fuel to the fire of the hatred that Gino to me rightfully gets and rightfully deserves for a lot of the stuff he has done and said in the past. But like th- this is just, to me, this, this one is kind of inexcusable. Obviously the women's team ended up winning the gold medal, I think in the 2016. So it didn't really matter, but like, excluding one of the two two of the best players in the country from the team because of personal reasons is weird to me and it is a really really bad look for Gino and again kudos to Candace for you know making those honest statements and not just that but a lot of the stuff she said on the uh in the interview I thought was was really honest and really eye-opening but I, I again I just respect Candace Parker a ton. She's one of my top five favorite athletes of all time. Uh, so I'm going to be a little biased, obviously, but I, again, kudos to her for, for this. And I agree with her. I mean, <laughs> I don't like Gino either Candace, but I'm also not a good basketball player. So it doesn't matter what I think. Yeah. Um, uh, the last, the girl's last name is Agumike, and thank you. Thank I you. I know. And I know that because her sister is Shanae, who had a you know who I think you know had a, a popular show with Mike Golick Jr. on ESPN mm-hmm. Radio for a while. Yeah. Um, I think she's moved on to some other stuff because I think I, I happened I don't spend a lot of time uh, watching ESPN, but I I was somewhere the other day and saw that uh, Golick and you know Shanae and Golick is now Golick and Canty. Um, so <laughs> maybe that I don't think they would just just changed. Uh, the name for one day, so it seems like that was is a change, and uh, so uh, she was the, the the sister was she was the 2016 MVP, uh, WNBA, WNBA MVP, um, yeah, and and it's interesting because you hear the things that have just been said about him over the past, and you know, for every person that says something glowing about him, there's somebody that says something not so glowing about him <laughs> and um he seems like the type of person who would um who would spitefully leave a Tennessee player off of his Olympic team he also seems like the type of person who would uh purposely go find a kid a Tennessee player in the transfer portal and sign him and Mm. then maybe not play him an awful lot I don't know I mean maybe I don't know um that's neither here nor there for me 
like I've met the guy a couple times. He had a really good relationship with uh, with Jim Foster, who obviously coached at UTC at the end of his career. Um, interesting guy. I mean, he is who he is. I'm not here to cast any sort of judgments on the man, but I know how he is perceived in Knoxville, and that's not fun for a multitude of reasons and every last one of them is warranted those didn't affect me so I don't I don't share those opinions I, I'm just saying like to me I'm indifferent about the guy but um, I could imagine how Candace Parker feels exactly how she feels about it and he's the one honestly who looks bad to me because there's never a situation where you don't put Candace Parker on a all anything team Yep. anything Whatever it is, broadcasting, look at her. Just watch her. She's amazing broadcasting. She's going to take, she'll, like, she and Dwayne Wade will take Barkley and Shaq's place eventually. Um, that's, or, or maybe Barkley and Kenny Smith. Because I think that's kind of what they've done with their other programming. Um, like, she is amazing. There's not a thing that, you look at that she's done that she hasn't succeeded. She's a, she's a WNBA champion, mm-hmm. and did it in her hometown. Like, like I get it. Like the feel good stuff, it is what it is. But the reality of the matter is, this is the sort of player that, if you look at all of her career, I believe that like her maybe early in her career in the WNBA, there was a fight, um, or something along those lines that she may have been involved in. And aside from that, keep going to find something negative about Candace Parker. Good luck. Yep. Good luck. Like that she may have, she was involved in something that happens every, at every facet of basketball. If you've played basketball long enough, you've either been in a fight or pretty close to it. It happens. And, and, so like I, I'm just I, I can't I can't wrap my mind around it and so look um, Taylor Rooks does an amazing job and I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to actually taking the, you know taking the time um, over the weekend or whenever it's dropped to actually spend a couple minutes and listen exactly you know to, to listen to it in its entirety because you know you're talking about two people who are great at what they do Candace says interesting things. Heck, she's got us talking about it on a podcast right now. Mm-hmm. She says interesting things, and Taylor Rooks is good at getting answers. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a great combination. I'm looking forward to hearing what the the finished product sounds like. No, I, yeah, like I said, I watched that entire five and a half minute clip, and I don't know how long the full interview is going to be, but I, I agree with you. Like, I'm going to set aside some time. Um, probably won't have time Friday to do it, but uh, this weekend to watch it because. Uh, I think it'll be a very, very interesting full interview to, to listen to and, and watch because she mentioned in that same thing about, uh, you know, she was invited, she was invited back to try out for it in the 2020 Olympics, but she declined it because even, you know, even with Don Staley being the, taking over as a head coach there, um, she said that, you know, part of the reason was because she felt like the tryouts and stuff, like it was way too time consuming to mention that, you know, they're, they're expected to basically to kind of drop everything and go participate in these mini camps and stuff and she was like you know Kobe 
LeBron, th- like those guys, they did, they they weren't they didn't have to go do all these mini camps and all this sort of stuff. Like they could just go. It's like, but these women's you know, for the women's team here, like we basically are playing year round, and that they ask us to do this, and it's just you know health wise, I didn't feel great doing it. So, like she she mentioned a lot of really good stuff in there and talking about you know the pay for the women's basketball player because that's one of the reasons why they had to play year round because they don't make the money like they should in the WNBA to not have to go supplement that by playing, you know, overseas in the quote unquote off season of the WNBA and stuff. And so she, she just, like you said, she gave a lot of good quotes, gave a lot of good information. And, and Taylor does a really good job of ask, actually asking good follow-up questions, which I think a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of media members out there who, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm great at it, but like there's a lot of national media members and stuff who could take a lot of notes from that in terms of actually asking legitimate follow-up questions in the interviews and not just kind of letting things go and whatnot. But Anyway, Gene, I think that's where we'll end the podcast. Actually, where we'll end the podcast is by giving a score update. And uh, Missouri lost to Liberty 66-45. Yeah. 21-point loss. <sighs> anyway, that's where we'll end this podcast. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate all of you tuning in. This was a long one. This one of the longest ones we've done in a while, Gene. It, it felt good to kind of just sit down and, and chill and talk for a bit. Um, but, man, it, it, it was fun. Again, really fun structured games coming up for both men's and women's teams. We'll be back again probably next week to to wrap up and talk about the Colorado and Texas Tech games and also probably have a Lady Vols one um, sandwiched in between the Virginia Tech and Stanford games to talk about, you know, Virginia Tech and then also talk about the upcoming Stanford games. So be on the lookout for a couple more episodes here in the next week and a half for the Vol Basketball Fever podcast and Lady Vol Basketball Fever podcast uh, here on the same channel. Again, you you don't have to subscribe to a new channel if you're wanting the Lady Vol one. It's here on the same thing. So if you're subscribed to us, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever, uh, you will get that one uh, just like you get this one. Thank you all so much for tuning in. If you want to follow us on social media, we're at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter and Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. Subscribe today if you haven't already. We really appreciate you guys. Signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Subscribe to the show so you'll never miss another episode.